a listener production. Hi, and welcome to Broadsheet Melbourne Around Town. I'm Broadsheet's editorial director, Katja Vuchtel, and the host of this brief guide to Melbourne. The Bear is an emotional roller coaster of a show about a fine dining chef trying to turn his family's old school sandwich shop around, and it was one of the biggest hits of 2022. The second season is now streaming in Australia, and Broadsheet editor Audrey Payne got a sneak peek and chatted with one of the show's executive producers all about it. She's here today to preview the show. But first, we're visiting a new Melbourne ramen shop that's got eager diners lining up for hours to get inside. If you've passed by 166 Russell Street recently in the city, you may have seen some epic queues forming and wondered, why are people lining up? They're lining up for a Japanese ramen chain, Mencho Tokyo, which just opened its first Australian store in Melbourne. Audrey Payne, our food and drink editor, has visited and is going to tell us all about why people are flocking to this new spot. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you. Mencho Tokyo, where does it come from? So it comes from Tokyo. It's a ramen chain that has actually a few outposts now. So there's some in the US, there's one in Indonesia, and um, now Australia has its first, first Mencho Tokyo. Very exciting. There are obviously many types of ramen. Mm-hmm. What kind of ramen does Mencho specialize in? Yeah, so they specialize in Tori Python ramen. So it's a type of ramen made from a chicken broth. And it's really, at least the one they have at Mencho that I tried, um, is really quite thick and pretty rich. That's different, of course, to maybe some of the other ramen joints around town, which are specializing in the broths that are made from pork, which mm-hmm. is, I think, something we see a lot of in Melbourne. Yeah, true. They actually don't have a pork ramen on the menu. They have lamb and one made from Wagyu. But yeah, no pork ramen. I didn't think about that. Take us in, before we get into the menu, mm-hmm. I'm excited to discuss that. Take us into the space. You're obviously walking past a bunch of people in line once you go in there, but what is it like inside? Yeah, so it's a really narrow space. You walk in and it's cool because they have bar seating around the restaurant. So you can eat ramen and also get a view of that kitchen, which I always love. If you're not lucky enough to be sitting where you can see the chefs, there is a nice little back room, which is pretty cozy. And there's also an upstairs area. So you walk upstairs, you can see through a glass window the room where they make the noodles, which is very exciting. All the noodles at Mentro Tokyo are made in-house. And just a few more seats up there. It's a pretty small venue. You're obviously ordering ramen. Mm-hmm. Are there are other things on the menu. There are other snacks on the menu. So they have these quote unquote corn wings. So they've taken the corn on the cob, sliced it so it's still on the cob, and then fried it so it curls. It almost looks like an octopus tentacle. And then they have like fried inoki mushrooms. It's really cool. Like they have a vegan ramen. So if you're vegan, you can get a full meal with some snacks there as well. Did you have snacks before the ramen or you dove straight into the ramen? We dove straight into the ramen, but the snacks came and they were a nice accompaniment. But like truly we were there for the ramen. And you were there with Harvard Wang who Mm -hmm. had written the story for Broadsheet. Did he guide you or are you like, no, I know what I'm getting and... I don't need any help or guidance on what I'm going to be ordering today. No, I'm always happy to um, get help and guidance on life and ordering dishes. Um, Harvard had a really great idea, which was that we got two and shared them. I don't know if you're going to wait online for that long. It is nice to be able to try more than one bowl of ramen. So we ordered the signature one that's made with the chicken broth. And then we ordered one that um, has the same broth, but is super garlicky and a lot 
darker. So the signature ramen was really nice to start with because you just get a sense of like how the broth is on its own. And then the garlic one is kind of like next level if you want that extra like punch of flavor. But it was also really cool because, as I said before, the noodles are all made in-house. So you they're kind of chewier than some noodles you would usually get. They're pretty thick and it's really cool. Um, Harvard mentioned in his story that, you know, in the winter months, they make them slightly thicker and a little, you know, a little heavier. Mm. And then come spring, summer, they're planning to make slightly thinner noodles that could maybe go with some cold dishes. They talk about having a farm-to-bowl ethos, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the brand's global, um, but as the kind of local owner told Harvard in our story, the operation is completely local, Mm -hmm. which means they're using things made from Australian produce. So that's infused coffee oil, Melbourne coffee beans, uh, the kelpers from Tasmania. Mm -hmm. I thought that element was quite interesting, that even though it's a global chain, they're making sure that they're using ingredients that are local to Australia. Yeah, and it's cool too. Um, Like That's a big reason why they have the lamb ramen on the menu, and also they're using local which I didn't know was a thing until researching the story, but they're using um, chocolate-fed Wagyu. If you look up the Raw Treat article, there's a link out that'll give you more information on that. I'm definitely not an expert, but um, yeah, I think it's a whole different rabbit hole you can go down. When you walked inside, did you have a sense of it being kind of intimate? There's only 28 seats, right? Yeah. Or did you feel like, okay, now I understand why there's there's lines, like this is, this is teeny tiny, or did it feel quite spacious? It actually felt spacious and they... Pace, pace it out, I think, to help with the kitchen, but also that has the effect of making you not feel like you're in this really cramped space. I didn't get the sense that we or anyone else was trying to be rushed out. So that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Is this an in and out situation or you can you can linger a little bit? I wouldn't linger too long because you know that people are waiting in line, but they don't make you feel that way, which is nice. They also only make a specific number of each of the dishes every night. So the Wagyu ramen, they only do 20 bowls. So if you want that one, you got to be first in line. Um, so the night that we went, they actually didn't have the matcha ramen, which is highly Instagrammable, or the Wagyu one on the menu. Um, I heard the owner kind of explaining to another table that they couldn't get the ingredients they wanted at the quality they wanted that week, especially for the Wagyu one. So they decided not to serve it. So it shows as well, I guess, that you might go one week, but it's kind of worth lining up the week after because you might get something else that wasn't on the menu the week before. Yeah, yeah. If you are looking to join the line of people who are waiting to get into Mentro Tokyo, then you have to turn up at 166 Russell Street in Melbourne or at the back of the line near there. Maybe it's going to be further down Russell Street by the time you get there. The hours are 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. every day. The Bear was one of the biggest hit TV series to come out in the last 12 months. It's about a fine dining chef who's changed lanes, headed back to his hometown of Chicago to turn around a family business, an old sandwich shop that needs a little bit of tender affection. Now, you had an advanced look at Mm -hmm. season two. We'll get to that in a second. Describe The Bear for those who haven't seen it yet. What was the first season all about? Yeah, so like you said, the first season follows this chef, Kami, played by Jeremy Allen White, who um, some people might know from Shameless. And he comes from this fine dining world, but his family has run a Chicago beef shop, so like a sandwich shop. And some events unfold that lead to him having to go back and kind of put the business back in shape. It's pretty run down when he 
comes and takes over, very chaotic, people kind of stuck in their ways, doing what they've been doing. And um, because of his pedigree, a younger chef, Sydney, played by Ayo Adebari, kind of tracks him down and wants to learn from him. And she kind of shakes things up in the kitchen as well. So... For those who work in hospo, they felt like it really reflected what it's like to work in a hospitality environment. The chaotic nature of what it's like behind the scenes, the pressures of running a business, but also trying to get dishes up in time. Mm -hmm. It's, for a lot of people, something that they felt was quite an intense watch. I think there were some chefs kind of anecdotally saying that they watched the first episode and then they had to tap out because it was too realistic. It was also interesting that he comes into, Kami comes into this environment and then, of course, Sydney comes along mm-hmm. and they're the fine dining. They represent this idea of, or at least the expertise that comes from fine dining. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the team in that shop has worked in the sandwich shop for a long time. Doesn't mean they're not making great food. But the idea of sh- chef stations, prepping what you do as you go, hitting deadlines, that's anathema to them. And part of the drama of the first season is watching as Kami and Sydney basically tussle their way through, Mm -hmm. sometimes getting different members of the team on board, other times driving them away, and a bit of an emotional roller coaster, really. I also think that as well, you don't have to have worked in food to find this intriguing. No, not all. And maybe it's slightly more enjoyable for those who aren't going to be traumatised by watching those scenes unfold, you know, Mm -hmm. back of house. Let's talk about season two, which has been much awaited, highly anticipated. It's already been released in the States and the reviews have been Stella, a lot of those reviews talk about the fact that if the first season was incredibly chaotic and in some places dark, there's more light in this season. Mm. You spoke with Maddie Matheson, who is a celebrated chef, a very rambunctious Canadian man. He has cookbooks, he has YouTube series, he has restaurants, he's very well known Mm -hmm. and he also plays a small part in the show, but he's an executive producer. Yeah. How did he describe the second season to you? <laughs> he described the second season to me as full-bodied, which I thought was a very funny way to put it, um, especially borrowing a wine world term. But um, I think my interpretation of that, at least, is that this next season goes a lot deeper into exploring the characters and who they are. Um, a lot of them get their own kind of bottle episodes. So I think full-bodied in the sense that you get a more rounded sense of who these people are. I love the character of, you know, the longtime chef at the Old Beef who kind of became maybe accidentally a bit of a pastry chef. Oh, and yes. Just wanted to create the best chocolate cake. Yeah. So I might just flag like mild, mild spoilers. If you don't want anything ruined, this would be a time to skip ahead. But um, that character, Marcus, ends up staging in Copenhagen at an unnamed fine dining restaurant. Maybe just as an aside as well, for those who don't know what a stage is, fine diners offered the opportunity to for young chefs who wanted to come and learn the expertise of a fine diner to come and what they called stage. Mm -hmm. It's effectively an unpaid internship. For a long time, these were things that young chefs love to also have on their resumes. And it's true. If you look at a lot of broadsheet coverage or food media coverage in this country, it's often, there are often stories where someone may have staged at Noma, Mm -hmm. maybe they staged at Attica, but there has been a big discussion around whether those kind of opportunities, while providing access to Mm -hmm. some of the top chefs in the world, are they right? Shouldn't these people be paid? So that was just a little aside on what what these stages mean. The bear doesn't go too much into the economics of it, but it does a nice job of kind of showing the inspiration that 
can take place if you're working with the right people at the right time in your life or career and you just need that kind of spark. I think it really does a really beautiful job of showing Marcus kind of take that on and also showing how lonely it can be to be in a city that you don't really live in. When we first meet all these mm-hmm. these characters in the first season, a lot of them were unknown actors to, I would say, the majority of audiences. Yeah. In the second season, we get some pretty big Hollywood names yeah. joining this cast. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Audrey? There's one episode, episode six in this season called Fishers, and it's a flashback episode. It's kind of this onslaught of famous faces, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is there, Sarah Paulson is there, John Mulaney is there, Bob Odenkirk in the conversation with Maddie that I was lucky enough to have because he's an executive producer. He kind of spoke about what it was like to be in the room when they got these people to say yes and just this like energy and how excited everyone was and how everyone just kind of came to play. And you really see that on screen. Like it's a serious episode, but you can kind of feel the like energy and fun in the room. That, I think, shows just mm-hmm. where this this series is going. It's so high quality, but we start to see some faces and some famous faces in this second season. And I think, too, like how respected it is, not just in the hospitality world, but also in the industry, like yeah. the film industry. Tell us a little bit about who's behind the show, mm. for those who don't know. Yeah, so actually, yeah, I should say that the reason why Maddie Matheson is involved is not only because he has a small part on the show, But his role as a co-executive producer is to consult on the culinary aspects of it. So he works close with Coco Stora, who is actually the sister of the series creator. And the two of them have a restaurant background. So their job is to kind of make sure that the dialogue around the dishes is accurate, that people are moving in the way that they would in a restaurant. Coco's Um, worked at some top restaurants, really buzzy restaurants mm -hmm. in the US. In fact, if you're particularly interested, we... Broadsheet did a story, an interview with Coco around the first series about what it took to basically culinary produce on yeah. the bear. And in the second season, is mm-hmm. that food element just as important? Can you see Maddie and Coco's touches or are we moving more into kind of time away from the restaurant? There is time away from the restaurant, but in my mind, food almost plays a bigger role because you get to see the characters develop and through that like their dishes also develop and part of the season is about Sid and Kami developing what they call this chaos menu for when the restaurant reopens. So that plays a big role as well. And there's also a really beautiful episode where you see Sydney's character um, kind of take a culinary tour of Chicago and then just find inspiration through that. It is one of those shows that mm. makes you want to go out and grab a sandwich afterwards mm-hmm. Do we get a look again at that very famous beef sandwich that was such a central part of the first season? That is so funny you ask. I actually don't think we do. I don't think the beef sandwich oh no. makes any more appearances, but there's a great the cannoli moment. Yeah. Great. Okay, good. So The Bear Season 2 is now streaming in Australia. It's on Disney+. Plus. Audrey, should everyone go and watch it right away? I think you have your weekend plans. That's it for today. You can stay completely up to date at any moment of any day at broadsheet.com.au or on Instagram at broadsheet underscore Mel. I'll be back again on Monday. Same time, same place. Chat then. Listener.